Thanks for listening to this week's message from Gateway City Church. For more information about Gateway City, check us out online at gatewaycitychurch.co. We hope you enjoy today's message. Man, it is such an honor and privilege to be here with you guys today. Uh, I got emotional in the team huddle uh, just because, man, it's just it's so remarkable to see a group of people uh, just move from a place and move into a place that they had never lived before and basically parachute in with the gospel. And that's the only thing that they have at their disposal. And then to look out over this crowd and to see uh, a bunch of happy faces and see people that are connecting to Gateway City Church. Uh, there's only one thing that can do that, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? And I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see what the future holds for Gateway City. If this is what the beginning looks like, I can't wait to see when you guys become an established church. And uh, I'm so thankful, Will, for you to give me uh, the platform this morning. And uh, I don't like what you said to, uh, to the congregation about my uh, ski experience on yesterday. Uh, we grew up in different places. His parents took him skiing. Mine did not, all right? What an honor and privilege it is to be able to be inside of this series on the subject of generosity. This is what we do. And I know that this is something that you want to trademark Gateway City Church. You want to be known inside of the community as a generous church. And what I want to do is I want to give you some practical tools that you can deploy, that you can uh, commit to, that will turn that from just a statement to a reality. Because if I were to ask you to hold your hand up in here, if you want to be generous, most everybody inside the room would wave at me, right? They would be like, yeah, absolutely. No one would be like, no, I don't want to be generous. I want to be greedy. No one would say that they would want to be greedy. Everyone inside of this room, sound of my voice, you want to be generous. The problem is, and inside of the culture that we live, is it promotes greed. It promotes consumerism. And so what ends up happening is as you grow up, there's this muscle called generosity that you have inside of your life that has a ton of atrophy because you haven't exercised it and you haven't deployed it inside of your life. And you end up not knowing really what steps you need to take in order to become a generous person. And so what I want to do today, by the end of the day, this would be a win for me, is for you to walk outside of this room and be able to go, you know what, I know what my next step is. I know what my next step is. And you're probably wondering, why is there a ladder? I'll get to that in just a moment. And why is there a dry eraser board? And why do they move it here and then move it over to there, okay? We'll get to that in just a moment. Let me go ahead and uh, roll into uh, the first subject matter of today that we want to talk about is that if you live inside and if you eat every day, you are in the top 15% of the, wealth, the wealthiest people in the world. Did you know that? If you live inside of a home, wave at me if you live inside of a home. And if you eat every day, not three meals a day like I do, as you can see. But if you just eat every day, you're in the wealthiest 15% of people inside of the world. You see, most of us inside of this space, we have what I call rich people problems. We have rich people problems. Because everyone inside of this room is rich. And I'm going to prove it to you. How many of you have an expensive coffee habit? Just wave at me right quick. Got an expensive, you, you at least once a week, you go out and indulge and you buy a $5 cup of coffee. Just wave at me right quick if you do that. That's rich people problems. You know that? 
How many of you inside of this room would say that, that you entertained yourself over the last 30 days? You either went to a movie or you went to a baseball game or you sat in your pajamas underneath covers and watched Netflix for a long period of time. All right, I see those hands back there. The guilt is inside of the room. Then that's what rich people do. If you've entertained yourself over the last 30 days, I was the source of entertainment, as Will pointed out, uh, with skiing. Like, I put sticks on my feet, and I was on a mountain, and there was snow. But I don't know if what you could call what I was doing, skiing. But I entertain myself, which makes me rich, man. That's rich people problems. If you have more than 12 channels on your television, that's stuff that rich people have. If you have a separate set of clothes that you sleep in, and then you get up and you put on a different set of clothes to go to work in, and then you come home and you put in, uh, and you go to your drawer and you get out another set of clothes to go work out in, and then you come home and you take a shower and you put on another set of clothes to lounge around the house in. How many of you guys have at least one or two pairs of clothes that you wear on a regular basis? That's what rich people do. If you've ever upgraded anything, I'm on that iPhone for life plan. I'll go ahead and confess my sin to you right now. Is when a new iPhone comes out, I get it because I can. I'm on that iPhone for life plan. And so as soon as one comes out, I just upgrade to the next one. That is what rich people do. If you have loose change inside of your car, and if you're like me, you vacuum out your car about two times a year, and you suck up some change inside of the vacuum that you had, that high-powered vacuum that you have at the car washing place. Man, rich people suck up loose change in their car with vacuums. That's all things that rich people engage in. Everyone inside of this room would admit by the waving of their hand, you already confessed to me that you have a ton of extra inside of your life. And if you have extra inside of your life, you're some of the wealthiest people on the planet. The question is today is how does God feel about our extra? How does God feel about the resources? Because I'm not going to apologize for having money. I'm not going to apologize for having extra. God actually blesses us with extra and there's nothing wrong with having extra. The question is, is how does God feel about it? And there's a parabolic saying that I'm going to point you to is found in Luke chapter 12. We're going to begin in verse 16 and go through verse 21. Then we're going to jump down really quickly to verse 34. And inside of this parabolic saying, which is basically a short story that Jesus would teach. And if I breathe like this, it's because I am not used to this elevation, all right? If I, if I have to do like this, this, you know, this is elevation that we don't have along the Gulf Coast inside of the state of Alabama. So uh, I'm going to be taking some deep breaths today, and I'm not going to apologize for that. So Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 16, Jesus in a parable, he's told them in a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So you have this rich man, and back then they didn't have like, shares or anything like that. They had land and they would produce the land and when it produced plentifully, it made you rich. You had farm animals. It made you very wealthy. And he thought to himself, what shall I do with all of this plenty? What am I going to do for I have nowhere to store my crops? Rich people problems, right? I've got nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. 
I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool. Now that's like a name that you don't want God to kind of speak over your life. Speak over your decisions. Speak over your family is full. But this is what God says inside of this parabolic saying. The night, this night, your soul is required of you. So in other words, there's an expiration date on all of us. And this gentleman is being told by God that your time is up. You're about to expire. You're about to die. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Then if you jump down really quickly, Luke 12, verse 34, it says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now this man, I want to point this out because it's important for us to understand this. This man was not called a fool because he was rich. He wasn't called a fool because he's rich. And when we look at all of the extra that we have inside of the environment and the culture that we live in, God is not looking over the wealth that we have acquired inside of our lives and, and making an exclamatory statement like, fool, because we have extra. No, not at all. He's not called a fool because he's rich. It's not about what you have. It's about your attitude towards what you have. And this gentleman had a, a posture and attitude towards what he had, and it was not generosity. It was, I'm going to hoard up all that I can, and I'm going to build the biggest barns that I can possibly build, and that way I have all of this excess that I can go into and I can draw from so that I never have to suffer. There's another word that describes that, and it's at the opposite end of the spectrum of generosity. It's called greed. It's called being greedy. And the reason why God exclaimed fool over this gentleman is because he was greedy. And the question towards the end of this is obvious for all of us in this room, is how can I become rich towards God? God was upset with this gentleman because of his greed and because he wasn't rich towards him. So the question that we need to ask ourselves, based upon this story that we just read that Jesus laid out inside of the first century, is how can I be rich towards God? I want to introduce you to what we call in our church the generosity ladder. This is what this is for up here, this special prop that we have up here. This is the generosity ladder. And this is a ladder that you certainly want to be on. Now, there's other ladders that have been referenced inside of our culture, like the corporate ladder. You don't want to be on the corporate ladder, right? There's other ladders of success that measure our success. And you don't want to be on those ladders because you'll climb up those and you'll realize that you've been on the, whole, the wrong wall the entire time. But this is something that you definitely want to make sure that you climb upon. You definitely want to be upon the generosity ladder. And there's two reasons that you want to be on this ladder. Actually, there's many reasons why you want to be on this ladder, but I only have time, the margin, to be able to give you two solid biblical reasons why you want to be on this ladder. The first one I'm going to point to, I'm going to draw from Scripture, is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Paul is talking to his young apprentice here, and he's saying this to him. 
He says, for the love, everybody say love, the love of money. He didn't say money. He said, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Many pains. And so the reason why you want to be on this generosity ladder is you want to climb this in order to avoid pain. In order to be able to avoid the pain that will ensue when you give yourself over to this love, this, this craving, this, this lust. And when I say the word lust, automatically everybody, you know, kind of gets a little bit tight because, you know, the guy's about to talk about sex. But lust has very little to do with sex. Lust is just this craving for more. And the more you fill your life with stuff, the more we consume, the more that we just continue to go out and buy this and buy that and get this and get that, the more our lust begins to grow. And our cravings begin to overtake us. And before we know it, we are experiencing a tremendous amount of pain. Paul mentions cravings, and he says the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. It develops this craving when we love money, this lust that's inside of us for more. But the more doesn't deliver the long-term commitment, the long-term contentment that you're looking for, whatever it may be. It could be more clothes. It could be more cars. It could be a bigger house. It could be greater and more technology. And none of these things are sinful. Like, there's nothing wrong with me having the newest iPhone in my back pocket. There's nothing wrong with me having a, a nice house. There's nothing wrong with me driving a, a decent car. There's nothing wrong with that. None of that is evil. But when you start looking towards it to satisfy a longing inside of your soul that only the Son of God can fulfill, that's when you begin to experience a train wreck inside of your life. And that's when disaster ensues. It's when we go, man, the only thing that I can, that I can do in order to be satisfied is to go out and purchase something else. Then there's this thing called the law of diminishing return that begins to kick in. And we begin to crave things that are that go from just normal cravings like I'd like a new shirt, I'd like a new house, I'd like a new car, I'd like a new this, I'd like a new that, and then all of a sudden, I'd like a new wife. I'd like a new, I'd like a new experience. And we begin to go outside of the boundaries of those things that are not sinful to things that become very sinful and we become this very greedy individual. And our life just gets all mixed up and messed up. And pastors are not a for that. That's the reason why when I talk to Will, the first words out of my mouth is not, how's your church doing? I don't ask him that. I ask him, how's your family doing? How are you treating your wife? How's your relationship with your kids? Because I know that even ministry can become a mistress. That ministry, that success can become this, can become this thing that, that's noble and good, but it can end up destroying us from the inside out. And so the reason why you need to get on this generosity ladder is you need to climb it in order to avoid the pain. You've got to climb it in order to avoid the pain. 
Because greed produces pain because it's never going to be enough. Have you ever, like, bought something and you thought, you know what, if I buy this? And you know, like, when you're saying it out loud, you know that it's not true, but there's this little voice in the back of your head that whispers to you that that's the enemy. That says, man, if you could just get, if you could just get that, man, you're going to be set then. If you could just get that. You know, I can remember being a part of a church and us saying, you know what, if we could just get to, if we could just get to 500, then it's going to be all good. It's going to be all good. And then we got to 500, and I'm like, this isn't good. If we could just get to 1,000, though. Then if we could just get to 1,500. Then if we could just get to 2,000. And you do that with your income. And you do that with the size house that you live in. And you do that with the type of car that you drive. If I can just get to this level, and then when we get to this level, if I can just have this amount of money inside of the bank, then everything is going to be all right. And I've had a little money in the bank, and I've had a lot of money in the bank. And let me just tell you that it does not deliver the results that you think it is. It's, it's only going to bring you pain. It's never going to be enough. The other thing, too, that I'll just throw out there for free, I won't even charge you guys for this, is that money, money, resources, success, it makes you more of what you already are. I had, a, I had an administrative pastor that told me that about education one time. He was encouraging me to go back and get my degree, and he said, listen, education just makes you more of what you already are. And he was a pretty blunt guy. He said, if you're an idiot, and you know the guy, his name's James Birdwill. He said, if you're an idiot, it's just going to make you more of an idiot. And that's the thing with money and resources. Resources at our disposal, when we get them, it just reinforces who we already are. And if we're generous, it's just going to make us more generous. The second reason why we need to climb this ladder is climb to receive blessings. There's nothing wrong with going, you know what? I want God to bless me. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. And then verse 10, Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now let me just go ahead and tell you the difference between some of the, the Scripture inside of the New Testament that Jesus gives to us that is a promise versus what I just read to you. What I just read to you is a proverb. And so in Proverbs, what Proverbs gives us is it gives us principles. It doesn't say, if, then, then that. It just says, usually, typically, when you live your life in this way, then this is usually what's going to take place. This is not a promise that you're going to get rich if you start giving to Gateway City Church. In fact, I believe that the motivation behind why you give, if you're giving just to get a blessing, then all of a sudden the motivation behind what you're, like why you're giving is greed. And greed is, is something that, that is a stench in the nostrils of God. But when we give because we're obedient and we give because we want to see things succeed and when we give because we want to see one more person come to faith in Jesus Christ, then that generosity muscle begins to get alive and this, and this principle begins to play out inside of our lives. So we climb to avoid the pain and then we climb because there is blessing. God blesses us. 
He never blesses us just so that we can go out and, and build big barns like we see inside of the story that Jesus said that we read a little bit earlier. He never blesses us for that reason. He blesses us so that we can be a conduit to everybody that we come in contact with. So that we can connect people to the life-changing and transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the point of the entire Bible. That's the point of the, the, the entire reason why we're supposed to come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. is so that we can connect to God and we can be blessed so that we can be a blessing to other individuals. So we want to climb in order to be a blessing. And so the only question that we got to answer now is how do we get on the ladder? If we climb to avoid the pain, if we climb so that we can be a blessing, then how can we get on the ladder? Which brings me to something that I want to share with you. And I want to talk about the global church for just a moment. And this is a, this is a pie chart that I'm going to draw out here. Now, I'm talking about the global church, those that are a part of the church worldwide. Okay, I'm not, I'm not about to give you numbers based upon Gateway City. Will and I haven't had a conversation. He didn't say, hey, can you come and share this so that we can, you know, kind of get everybody stirred up and giving a little bit more. He didn't share any of that. I'm just giving you some data that has been collected by people that are way smarter than me that shares with us kind of an epidemic and a problem, and it's a generosity problem that exists inside of the global church. And you guys are a part of the global church, right? Doesn't matter how old you are, you're a part of the global church. And what this data tells us is that 50% of those that, that go to a church regularly, that 50% of those individuals don't give anything to their local church. Not one dime. Not a nickel. And so they come every single week and they pull up to the table and they listen to great worship. And wasn't that great worship this morning? So good. And then they hear a really fantastic word, especially when you have a guest speaker here. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. And then they leave without even contributing to the bill. They pull up to the table, and they don't even contribute to the bill. And here's what blows my mind. I've been doing this for a long time, 20-plus years inside of vocational ministry, is that typically this 50% is usually the most vocal individuals inside of the church. Now, I'm the executive pastor, which means that I oversee the complaints department inside of our church of 4,000, and there's a lot of them. And here's what I've noticed over the last several years is that complaints usually come from this group of people. Let me draw this a little bit bigger so we can see it out there. It comes from this group of people, the 50%. I didn't like the message. I didn't like the worship, to which I reply, it's okay, we weren't singing to you anyway. I didn't like the camp that we scholarship their kids to go to. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. This is like the, the vocal, the most vocal bunch of people, the most vocal bunch of individuals that exist inside of most churches, but they're not contributing anything. And I get, listen, I get there's three ways in which you can contribute to a church. It's your time, your talent, and your treasure. There's three ways in which you, but 
here's the thing. All three are equally important. To say, well, I tithe my time or I give my time, that's not good enough. Well, I give my talent. I'm sorry, it's not, it's not good enough for me. It's not good enough for Will. It's not good enough for every pastor. It's not good enough for, both, for those that attend a church. You have to also include the treasure. I get, I get that you give in other ways, but this 50% of individuals that attend church, they're not giving a dime. They're not contributing anything. Now, here's, here's one of the primary reasons why. One of the primary reasons why they're not giving anything at all is because they don't have it to give. They live inside of the United States of America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we live off 109% of our income. That's an actual statistic. 109% of our income. The average credit card debt inside of a typical family is $9,000. That's the average credit card debt. And if you just pay the minimum payment, which many people in American families are, then it's going to take you three decades to pay that thing off. And you are going to spend $32,000 in interest. But that's our culture, right? If you want it, go get it. And we're fed this line nearly 5,000 times a day, and it's, and it's this line of, you are not happy. Basically, that's how people are taught inside of marketing, is to convince the watcher, the consumer, that they are not happy. But you could be if you just buy my product. And we've fallen into this trap, and we have this major issue where we're living off of 109%, and if God called us to give a portion of our income, we couldn't because we don't have it to give. And so where you're at, if you fall into that category, I'm not beating up on you. Listen, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt as well. I'm not beating up on you at all. But what you need to lean into is you need to lean into more of the financial solution side of things. And so in order for you to get on the generosity ladder and begin to give to God, then you've got to create a mechanism inside of your life that can give you the ability, the extra that you need to be able to get on this generosity ladder. There's a couple of great books that are out there. I'll just throw out there to you. Um, it's a book called Master Your Money by a guy by the name of Ron Blue. If, if I'm talking about you, then write that down because that's a book that you need to read. The second thing is the total money makeover by a gentleman by the name of Dave Ramsey. And here's the priorities that, said that they sort of lay out when it comes to, to money. Money priorities inside of families. And the first priority that they say is they say the first thing that they should do. And these are not pastors, by the way. These are individuals that attend churches. And they say the first thing that you should do is you should give. That's the first thing that you should do is give, is figuring out what would it look like for me to sacrifice and give. It could be a small amount. It could be a large amount. But the first step is giving. The second step is saving, is you should save. The third is then go, okay, after I've given, after I've saved, now this is how much money I have to service my debt. And you pay for your debt services, and then you determine your lifestyle. Here's the issue, though, is that we have that backwards inside of America. 
is that we say, all right, I'm going to determine my lifestyle. I'm going to pick the car, the neighborhood. I'm going to pick the best clothing. I'm going to determine my lifestyle first, and then I'm going to pay my debts. And it's usually not enough. Therefore, I have to finance it on credit cards. And then, if I have anything left over, I'll save. And then, if I have anything left over, I will give. We usually do this in reverse. And so what you've got to do, if you fall into this 50%, and you're a part of that American dream, if you will, then what you've got to do is you've got to decide that you're going to look at the Bible and read a couple of great books and get into the solutions category of this epidemic that we are experiencing inside of America. Now back to the pie chart over here. Now this pie chart over here, this number that I'm going to give you, is around 40%. And that sounds real good, doesn't it? 40% of Christians who attend the church globally that they actually contribute to the mission and the vision of their local church. They're giving. But guess how, how much you have to give in order to transition from this category to this category? Just a penny. That's it. And so most churches, I can tell you the makeup at Three Circle Church, at Three Circle Church we have hundreds of families that are giving less than $500 a year. Hundreds of families. Now thank God for them because every little bit counts and $500 times hundreds of families, man, that gives us the ability to be able to make an exponential impact in the community in which we live. But obviously, the only thing that you have to do is just give something, which leaves just this number right here is that 10% according to statistics that I've pulled from all over the place, and it ranges from 10 to 15%, well, we'll just say 10 for us today, 10% of those that call the church home, that they're actually tithing. What the Bible teaches is tithing, which is essentially a tenth of your income. And it's literally so easy. All you gotta do is take a decimal point and move it to the left. And that defines for us what a tithe is. And so we tell our people, you know, very clearly at Three Circles that we want you to tithe. We want you to tithe. Not because we need something from you. It's because we want something for you. And listen, I know people are tensed up right now because there's a guest guy in. And he's talking about money. And people get funny when they talk about money, right? You know what I mean? Especially in church. But I want to just say that, that it's so important for us to understand that when we give to God and when we honor what God has asked us to do inside of Scripture, that we receive blessings. And there's so much more for you than what's coming from you. I mean, go back to that verse of Scripture in Proverbs. It says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. He's talking about that tenth. He's talking about that 10%. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Vats will be bursting with wine. That sounds like a lot more for you than a lot more from you. And that's what Scripture teaches. It's so important for us to understand 
that God wants more for us than he wants from us. If we look at the generosity ladder over here, the first rung of the generosity ladder, and we can just take these numbers and kind of throw them over here. So the 50% that are not giving anything, the steps that we kind of outlined at Three Circle Church is this, is we invite people that are not giving anything to become an initial giver. And we provide resources, solutions, man. We care about 100% of the income. You know, most churches get accused of only caring about 10%. We want them to actually be able to budget for their uh, kids' college educations and retirement and all of that good stuff. We want that to happen. But in order for that to happen, that they have to jump from this to over here. So if they're in that 50%, what we tell the 50% inside of our church is we say, just begin to give something. And this is a spiritual decision. And then if they're an initial giver, what we do is we ask them to take the next step. And the next step would be to become a consistent giver. Is that you give regularly, but not as a percentage of your income. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're an initial giver. I would ask you to take the next step and become a consistent giver. And then beyond that, there's an intentional giver. And all of these exist inside of every church. And an intentional giver, they give a percentage of their income, but not the tithe. A tenth is what the Bible teaches. And then beyond intentional, they're surrendered giver. And they give 10% of their income back to the local church as a surrendered giver. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. And then the last step has nothing to do with how much. Let me just make this abundantly clear. God does not care about the zeros. He doesn't care. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, there's this little widow lady that's bringing her offering to the temple. And she's got two little, like, copper coins. And you've got all these people with their chests puffed out, and they're coming in, and they're dropping in change and dropping in all kinds of wealth and resource. But Jesus being able to read people's minds and hearts, he sees this widow lady giving all that she had. And he says, that's that's what generosity looks like. Because there's some individuals that can write a $30,000 check and we go, whoa, that's generous. But in reality, it's not generous for them. And so it has nothing to do with the zeros. And so there's a step even beyond just giving 10% of your income is called being an extravagant giver. And that's the, the prayer that my wife and I pray. We say, God, give us the ability to become an extravagant giver. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But here's the difference between the verse that I read in Proverbs and the verse that I read inside of 2 Corinthians. The verse that I read in Proverbs is principle. If you do this, then this usually happens. The verse that I'm reading now is a promise. There's this thing in the Bible, it's called biblical reciprocity. It works like a boomerang. You throw it out and it's gonna come back to you. Usually with more force in which you threw it out. And this, this particular verse of scripture is a promise to us. That when we sow so sparingly, we reap sparingly. But when we sow bountifully, 
we also reap bountifully. I want to close out our time together with a story about a friend of mine. And this, this is really tough doing this after you've skied all day yesterday. If I fall off, just dig a hole and bury me here. But this friend of mine, he, uh, he started a church in Southern California. And he and his wife, they made a commitment to be tithers from day one. And so they gave 10% of their income. They would get $100, they'd give $10. They'd get $1,000, they would give $100. 10% of their income, they made that commitment. And of course, church planters don't make all that much. I know Will dresses like he does, but he doesn't make all that much as the church planter. He's just fly like that, all right? But my friend Wick Warren, he made the decision. He said, you know what? God's blessed us, and we've grown, and, and we've got this raise, and, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start giving 11% of my income. And through the years, more blessing came, and so 12, 13, 14, 15%. And then he wrote this, this book that became the second best-selling book in American history. Next to the Bible. The Bible is the only one that beat him. Wrote this incredible, unbelievable book. And when you write the second best-selling book in American history, you make a lot of money. And so money was pouring in and I'm sure the temptations were as well. But my friend, you know what he did? He said, you know what? God has obviously trusted me with this. And so here's what I'm going to do. He called the person that oversaw the finances and he said, I want you to calculate because at this time, he was the pastor at this church for 25 years. And he says, I want you to calculate how much the church has paid me these last 25 years. That's an enormous amount probably he wrote a check for that amount and then he actually became a reverse tither he actually lives off a of 10 and gives 90 to this day to this day he's an extravagant giver and obviously there's a lot a lot of money that he's given to the church but once again going back to reinforce the point it's not about the zeros but you can be an extravagant giver like that lady inside of the New Testament that gave those two little raggedy copper coins could stand next to this guy who's given millions of dollars and say, we're both extravagant givers. We're both extravagant givers. And God blesses and God uses resource. And the gentleman that I was talking about is a guy by the name of Rick Warren who wrote the book Purpose Driven Life. And it's really hard to come back down to. I'm just going to confess that to you as well. And so the question that we want to close with today is what would it look like you to take your next step? And there may be a time, you know, there's a lot of convicting stuff that got thrown out there into the room today. I've rolled some grenades out there. I can, I can do that. I'm the guest guy. I blow in, blow up, and blow out. I'm not going to be here next Sunday. And Will, if they're not, I apologize. If they're not here next Sunday either. But don't be that person that gets offended because, 
because we talked about money. Don't be that person. Take it and prayerfully consider what would it look like if you're in the 50% to become an initial giver. If you're in the 40%, what would it look like for you to take your next step on the generosity ladder? Maybe God is calling you to take a step in the direction of the tithe today. And listen, when you're a kid, $100, it's not a big deal to give a dollar. Or $10. not a big deal. But when you're making $70,000, and you're like, wait a minute, seven, seven thousand? It becomes harder. I was looking over our. Um, I was actually digging through some boxes, not that long ago. My wife and I were just some boxes that collect when you're married for twenty something years, and that's how long I've been married. Uh, twenty two years coming up in January. You know, you get a lot of junk, a lot of boxes. And we're digging through these boxes, and we pull out this old sheet of paper. You know, back in the day when they used pen and, like, paper. You know what I mean? Pulled out this old sheet of paper, and on this paper, it had my income when I was 19 years old. That's when we got married at 19. That's how we roll in the state of Alabama. We get married young. And on the, on the top, it's got some ridiculously low amount of how much we made. And then my wife, she made it even less than me. And she wrote that out and she added the two together and we were barely, barely over $1,000 a month. And then she began to lay the budget out. And at the top of the budget was the word tithes. And I look back at that and I go, man, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I made the decision at 19 years old as a young married guy to give a tithe off of a thousand dollars a month I don't believe that I would be standing in Colorado on a platform at Gateway City Church if I wouldn't have made that decision because that began to activate that muscle of generosity in over 20 plus years that thing has has strengthened and has become strong and has become strong. Now here's the deal, man. It's hard when God speaks and He says, "I want you to give this amount." We just did a capital campaign at our church, and God gave me an amount, and I'm like, "Ooh, that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard to take that money out of savings and give it to the church." But every time that we do, every time that we give, man, the blessings come. God blesses us so richly so that we can turn right back around and and be a blessing to others. And that's what we want for you, Gateway City Church. It is not about giving someone an extravagant salary. It's not about about paying uh, uh, salaries for those that are on staff here. It's It's about catalyzing a movement and combining resources with a group of people so that we can make a tremendous impact that we wouldn't be able to do elsewise without a commitment from people just like you. And you may be sitting there and you go, and you may be like the widow and you may say, but all I have is, is a little, but little becomes much when you put it in the hands of God and little becomes much when you bring it together inside of a collective community like this. Little becomes much. And you may be sitting out there and you may go, I have access to resource. And you can contribute. And God looks at it all the same. The landscape is level. I want to pray for you. And 
Pastor Will is going to come, but I want to pray that that this message would be activated inside of you. And my, and my only action step from today's message is this. Prayerfully consider what it w- would look like to take steps on the generosity ladder. Lord, we thank you so much for every single person inside of this room. And we just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would begin to just do a work. Lord, I'm just a man. I'm just a dude from Alabama that came to to deliver a pizza. But God, you are are doing work inside of people's hearts right now. And we ask for that work, Lord, to not just stay here with us inside of this room, but let it be taken home with us. And let us begin to prayerfully consider what it would look like to take steps towards being a generous person. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone said amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Gateway City Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit us online at gatewaycitychurch.co to select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.